Hey, we're all watching the Tour de France right now, and even though most of us can't race our own bicycles, we're still focused on our overall health and well-being, and that's where today's sponsor, MitoQ, comes in. Like everything else in our bodies, our mitochondria becomes less efficient as we age. From the age of 30 on, the levels of the antioxidant called CoQ10 in the mitochondria can decline by as much as 10% with each passing decade. This means that our body's natural resilience also declines, and that can impact training, recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, stress, hormones, and even brain power. And that is why this new supplement called MitoQ is becoming so popular with athletes like you and me. It helps our bodies better absorb intense training periods and then recover faster. Some athletes have even said they've seen an improvement in VO2 max, heart rate variability, and lactate threshold. When you combine that with not needing as long to recover and being able to maintain more intense training cycles, you can see why MitoQ could result in performance gains. To learn more about MitoQ's unique formula and the independent clinical trials that have been done on it, and to read some interesting athlete testimonials, go to www.mitoq.com. That's www.mitoq.com. Thanks to MitoQ for sponsoring this week's episode of the show. Let's get on with the podcast. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back to the Velonews Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you from a tired Sunday morning here at the home offices outside of Boulder, Colorado. I'm tired because I've been watching people race bicycles uphill for the last two days in the Pyrenees. And while riding bicycles makes me tired, watching people ride bicycles also makes me so tired. I can't imagine what the Tour de France Peloton is feeling like today after the last two days uh, in the Pyrenees. We have a great show for you today. We are going to hear from American Nielsen Palace after his breakaway uh, on Saturday's big Pyrenean stage, went up and over the Parasord and a couple other big climbs. And Nielsen was again uh, out there showing his colors, you know, out there for uh, for Team EF Pro Cycling and for America, making us proud. So we're going to hear from him. We also have another dispatch from Andrew Hood and James Start uh, talking about the fans on the Pyrenean climbs, how the tour has made such efforts to try and keep crowd sizes low, but the fans are still showing up because they love the Tour de France. And, uh, you know, the other topics going on at the race. But, hey, we got to talk about the action at the front of the race because the last two days have seen some pretty big haymakers thrown in the GC battle. And as we record this Sunday following Stage 9, Primoz Roglic has moved into the yellow jersey. Adam Yates saw his grip on yellow evaporate, and Tade Pogacar has emerged as the most exciting rider of this year's Tour de France so far. So coming to us uh, from an undisclosed location at the foot of the Pyrenees, it is Andrew Hood, the one and only Andrew Hood. Um, Andy, when you look at the GC battle specifically today, the stage into La Runes, I mean, what are the biggest talking points that you are left with in the fight for yellow? Well, it's it's a, a game where we saw really almost a, a kind of a replay of Saturday, Pogachar on, on the move, Jumbo Visma putting the hammer down, and Egon Bernal kind of hanging on by the skin of his teeth. Um, we saw Bernal looking better today, for sure looking better than he did yesterday. He was speaking to the media in the mix zone after the stage today, sounding a little bit more confident about his chances in this tour. I think that uh, he might have been knocked off balance a little bit in the first uh, this kind of aggressive start of this tour with Jumbo really taking control of the race. Um, but, man, for me, you know, we, we, Roglic, like you said, uh, in yellow, 
uh, kind of picking away at Adam Yates. He was kind of just a temporary uh, placeholder almost, I think, for that jersey. Uh, he succumbed to the inevitable. But the big big thing really for everybody on the ground here is, is Pogachar, just what he's done these last two days, really taking it to to Jumbo, taking it to Roglic, taking it to the big hitters, and just really spicing up this this race because a lot of people weren't expecting a whole lot from the Pyrenees. But, man, Pogachar just turned the script upside down. Yeah, so Pogachar attacked bottom to the top of the Parasort on Saturday. It sounds like he set a new record for the ascent of the Parasort. Two big stunning attacks. The second one stuck and he he got away. Then he attacked like two or three times up the Col de Marie Blanc today and won the stage. And I gotta just, you know, he's so strong. He's so full of beans, as we like to say. You know, these young kids, they're they're full of beans. They haven't had their spirits broken by the sport. They want to go and attack and be aggressive. But I keep coming back to the unfortunate situation that happened on Friday, stage seven, where Pogachar got caught in the Team Ineos crosswinds trap and lost 121. So right now, I believe he's like 48 seconds behind. I think he's sixth or seventh place on GC. 48 seconds is nothing. As we all know in the Tour de France, like bad days, you can lose or make up 48 seconds like nothing. But I gotta have to wonder, oh my gosh, how different this race would be if Pogachar and also Richie Port and Mika Landa hadn't been caught out in that crosswind stage, I feel like at some point uh, at this year's Tour de France, that crosswind stage is really going to be something that these guys look back on and go, ah, what the heck was I thinking? You know, a, a question I have for you, though, is Pogachar is obviously strong, but, you know, they gave him a bit of a leash yesterday because he was 121 behind. You know, if he's equal with these other big hitters on GC, do you see the last two days playing out similarly, or would they have spent more energy to try and mark him? Yes, yeah, we actually asked uh, Pogacar that question, you know, today in the press conferences. You know, it's all video conferencing, so we can't get close to him, but the social distancing. But uh, he said, he said, yeah, I mean, he had to attack. He goes, if I want to get back in the GC race, I had to attack in the Pyrenees. I can't just wait until the Alps. Uh, having said that. He obviously had the legs just to drop everybody. I think on on Saturday stage, it looked like uh, you know once Dumoulin made that call to kind of throw it, throw away his own GC chances, uh, he he was really pulling to set up a road glitch because I talked to George Bennett after the stage on Saturday, and he said that they were trying to race to pick up the time bonuses in the valley floor of Saturday stage, and uh, then road glitch just came over the top and really just blew up the entire race. And the same thing happened uh, today. So, you know, he is clearly, uh, along with Roglic, the strongest climber uh, coming out of the out of the Pyrenees. And you know, what's going to happen in the Alps? You know, we don't know. Will he go kind of back into a little bit more conservative racing style and uh, you know try to try to do that grinding out style of racing that we've seen over the Grand Tours, or does he keep attacking? I mean, like he's said, he's forty four seconds back on GC. You know, and he's about uh, less than 20 seconds off the podium. Um, not a lot of uh, weakness really in front of him. We got uh, Roglic Bernal, Guillaume Martin, who's quite the surprise, Bardet and Quintana, and Iran ahead of Pogacar. So, you know, he's got to take it to those guys too. And so I, I expect uh, I expect Pogacar to keep racing the way. And this is the way he raced last year at the Vuelta. Uh, you know, he's young and fearless, man. If he doesn't make any mistakes next week and then we have this whole transition week going across northern france there's, there's fear of uh, more echelons on tuesday stage along the coast so he'll be a little bit nervous on that stage but 
there's not, gonna, not a lot is going to happen on GC until uh, the, on Friday's stage going into the edge of the Massive Central. Yeah, boy, if I were Nairo Quintana, Roman Bardet, Guillaume Martin, and Rigoberto Oran, I would be scared right now because those guys, well, they are very strong as we saw on today's stage. They're in sort of that second group of top climbers on the road. And at least what we saw today, you know, it was Mikel Landa, Tade Pogacar, uh, Roglic and Bernal, who are really kind of the top, top, top climbers, where the other guys look like they're a speed behind. And if Pogachar is that motivated to attack, again, I, I would be really scared if, the, if I were those guys, because you know that he is coming with that youthful uh, exuberance to try and knock them out of the top five. Um, what do you make of Roglic at this point? So, you know, you wrote a great piece on the site today about how Jumbo Visma has been targeting these bonus points or these bonus seconds throughout the race. And really, Roglic's gap on Bernal right now is predominantly due to bonus seconds that he's gotten from, you know, summit bonuses, stage wins. What do you make of Roglic just in general? Do you feel like he's getting tired? I mean, is he bulletproof? Where do you make of his um, abilities to hold yellow for the next, you know, almost two weeks? That's going to be the big question mark going into the Alps. You know, did, did Jumbo Visma come out too strong? Are they burning too many matches early in this race? I mean, they've been really just racing, you know, Wout Van Aert won two stages and now he's pulling up the, the you know, he pulled up the first four category climb that the Peloton's done in the Grand Tour in one year at uh, Port de Bales. Yet Wout Van Aert setting the pace all the way up that thing, you know? So are these guys going to be able to hold that same strength all the way to uh, Paris? You know, that's the big question mark because so many people are uncertain of how long their form's going to last, you know, going into this weird kind of tour after a weird, uh, you know, atypical approach into the Grand Tour racing season, of course, with the COVID stop and everything. So there's a lot of unknown. So, of course, Roglic, you know, went into the Giro last year as the heavy favorite. It kind of uh, went off the rails there and ended up uh, having to scrap really to get third. And then, of course, he came into the Welta, you know, intent on making it up for that uh, hiccup at the Giro and just, you know, really powered home and into victory of uh, the overall to win the Welta last fall. So, you know, which version of which are we seeing right now? I'd say we're seeing the Welta version right now because, you know, he, he, is, he is clearly very confident looking very strong on the bike. I mean, he every time Roglic jumped, uh, Pogacar jumped, Roglic was all over him. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, to, to, to get back that time for Bernal to get back 21 seconds on Roglic, he's going to need more than that because, you know, I don't think Roglic is going to be a better time trialist than Bernal in that last time trial looking all the way at the end of the tour in the, uh, in the, in the Vosges. So it's going to be very interesting. You know, the question is, you know, do, does does Roglic fade and, and blow up? Does Bernal get better as this tour goes on? You know, how far can Pogacar go? And then it could be any of those other second-tier guys. You know, Nairo maybe wasn't as sharp today, Sunday, but, you know, he can really take take wing in, uh, in the Alps. So it's still wide open. Yeah, when I looked at uh, Roglic's racing over the last two days, it's like on one hand, he's being aggressive in that he is going for these time bonuses. But at the other hand, I feel like he is being very conservative. We saw the Parasord when Pogacar made his first attack and Roglic went with him pretty easily. I was thinking he was then going to light it up after he got his gap and try and really drop Bernal. And he didn't. You know, he played it cool. He like suit, you know, took the tempo down, waited for the guys to catch back up there, and just seemed okay to chase wheels. Same thing today, you know. After Pogachar went, and he bridged to Pogachar. Bernal went, and he threw in a dig, and we didn't really see Roglic 
put a ton of effort on the front until the very last push to the summit where there were time bonuses available. And he almost crashed into Pogachar. That was like a heart stopper moment where those guys like rubbed wheels over the summit. Thank God they kept it upright. Otherwise, that would have been a complete and utter disaster. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, this is one of those moments of the Tour de France. Like he has a lead. It's fragile. He's strong. But there's still so much racing to go. You know, we have the Massif Central. We have these big days in the Alps. And we have stage 17 up to the Col de la Loz. So, you know, Ineos versus Yum. Visma, the heavyweight battle, of the century is still um, very, very much going. Um, a couple other little GC stories that I'm keeping my eye on. Yeah, like Nairo Quintana, he looked so strong in the Paris Sword, and I'm wondering if he's going to make uh, a rebound in the Alps. And then who's going to be the top Frenchman? We have Guillaume Martin versus Roman Bardet in this uh, Frenchman battle of the ages. Big story that came out of Saturday's stage, Andy, was we finally saw, yes, Roglic is indeed the unquestioned team leader for Yumbo Visma. Tom Dumoulin put a big old pull on the front of the group at the bottom of the race, blew himself up for his team leader and faded back. And now he is definitely a domestique. I mean, what can you say about the significance of Tom Dumoulin being a domestique? Well, it's significant on, on many levels, really, because it means that the team is entirely committed to Roglic. They're not, they're not trying to be cute by playing two different, uh, two different GC cards. And it also means that all the firepower that, uh, that Dumoulin brings to the GC battle, he's just bringing that com- completely committed to Roglic. I mean, we saw even yesterday when the call was made out over the radio, that Dumoulin just said, hey, I'm not feeling great for the GC, but I'm going to take this final pull. That's on the Parisoir. That's when really the race blew up and, and you could see how everyone was really – like Bernal even said he was struggling to keep the pace that, that Dumoulin was setting. So Dumoulin as a super domestique is going to be a tremendous bonus to uh, Jumbo Visma. So in a lot of ways, by having all their cards – kind of behind Roglic, that's going to, I think, t- make that team even stronger than if they were trying to kind of save that second option. And what we also saw on the flip side of that is that all the teams that did come to the Tour this year, the kind of a, a second or a third even GC option, it's all just been obliterated through this uh, really hard nine first days uh, of, of racing. And we've seen that, uh, you know, teams like uh, Ineos that brought Carapaz, uh, EF that had kind of the three Colombians, the three amigos were there. Now it's just down to Iran. Uh, even Nairo and, and Barguil, it's all for Nairo. So it's really these Pyrenees has revealed really which teams are have the legitimate GC option. And it's almost been, except maybe with the exception of Trek Segafredo, all been whittled down to just one rider, one captain, all in to support that all the way to Paris. So we have the rest day tomorrow on Monday, and then we have flat stage Tuesday, flat stage Wednesday, eh, hilly, massive day Thursday, uphill finish, hilly day Friday. And uh, then, you know, then we get ready for the Alps. So Yumbo Visma now is going to be riding the front for the next four to five to six stages. Um, so the big question I see as we go into the Alps is, you know, Yumbo has to control the race, protect the yellow jersey, and keep uh, everybody healthy and strong for this big brewing battle in the Alps. Uh, the the test for them, I feel like, is really coming. Well, I think that, that uh, Enios can profit from that because – uh, Bernal can just ride in the slipstream of Ineos, uh, of Jumbo. 
no pressure on Ineos at all right now. So that Jumbo, you know, they've, they've taken this race by the scruff of the neck right out of Nice. So they're not afraid of that responsibility. They've been looking for that, obviously. Uh, and they've been racing the whole uh, tour so far as if they are the leaders. So uh, I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic there. If, if Bernal can just kind of get through this next week, not lose any time, not make any mistakes, avoid a crash, stay in the race, don't test positive for COVID, you don't want to do that, uh, and then you know go into uh, Grand Colombier, which is uh, I think next Sunday. You know, it's a whole another week from now. You know, by then, you know, Bernal could maybe even be stronger than he is right now and set up a real, real uh, exciting finale to this Tour de France. Well, we got a great GC storyline to follow. Andrew Hood, thanks so much for calling in from your undisclosed location at the foot of the Pyrenees. We're going to hear from uh, Andrew, Andy, and James a little bit later in the podcast from their dispatch, but we're going to catch up with you in another couple days. So, hey, survive the Buffalo Grill and the uh, French hotel rooms and the long transfers, and we will catch up with you in a couple days. Hey, many of us have heard of supplementing our training with the antioxidant CoQ10 for energy and recovery. Well, today's sponsor, MitoQ, is a unique form of CoQ10 engineered to get inside the mitochondria to help create cellular energy and neutralize free radicals. It helps improve recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, and stress, all of which will help you train better and be healthier. To learn more about the unique formula, to read some independent clinical trials and some athlete testimonials, go to www.mitoq.com. That's www.mitoq.com. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, it was the, the team's plan to go in the breakaway, and we had a few guys that we were hoping to go into the breakaway, and I mean, I think primarily it was meant to be either Danny, Hugh, or uh, yeah, I think uh, maybe even Alberto, but um, they, I think that the meeting, they, we kind of talked about how yesterday wasn't really a day for uh, recovery for me for the, for the breakaway from the day before, but um, I still felt pretty good this morning, so uh, I was still in that, in that group of trying to go into the breakaway, and um, yeah, I, the, the first move I followed went, so then uh, I found myself in the move, and uh, unfortunately some of our other guys were a little bit further back in the beginning, but um, yeah, I made the breakaway, and we just decided to roll with it because of the, the guys that, that, that were there, and I was hoping if I was fresh enough, then maybe I could uh, pull a nice result, and it was still a nice result to think close to top five or in top five maybe and um still able to gain a bit more time on the team classification so yeah i think in, in the end we're still really happy with it but um a little bittersweet to uh to miss miss uh miss out another opportunity but at the end of the day i i really just played it much smarter than than two days ago and uh it was just came down came down to the fact that i just wasn't uh wasn't good enough today what happened in that corner like did a little overcooked that corner and yeah, everybody saw little, that day cross country oh uh, man yeah i mean luckily uh I think I scared a few people. They didn't. I don't think they realized what was happening until I was like brushing my shoulder up against them in the in the in the U turn. And luckily, the the grass wasn't uh, super pitted, and I was able to sort of just maneuver through and hop back on the road and saved it. But uh, just a bit of a misjudgment on the last corner, and just trying to commit too much to chasing back Gilner and Nons. I was actually in front, and I was thinking, oh man, this is great. Like third on the road, and I think I can. Uh, 
maybe getting a bit more time on Ilner and Nons if I can hit this climb with a lot of speed, and that was kind of the plan, but I'd never ridden the corner before, so I was just hoping that it was uh, a corner that was that was uh, not uh, not tight enough, and unfortunately, uh, I lost a bit too much time, and I was never able to make make uh, make the ground back up to uh, uh, Verona and uh, Scoins, so uh, yeah, those guys got away from me right there, and uh, in the end, I caught maybe one of them, but uh, just uh, wasn't quite wasn't quite good enough, and that may have uh, maybe uh, taken me out of contention for top three, but in the end, I think the stage win was already up the road, so uh, yeah, I can't be too disappointed. But. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think uh, today, I think if I was uh, fresh enough, I would have been uh, a little bit disappointed for missing out on the uh, stage win or podium place, but uh, considering uh, how the first week has gone with the attacks that I've been making and uh, the breakaways that I've gone in and then following it up with a not-so-recovery day yesterday, then uh, I'd say that, um, yeah, I'm just really happy with my performance and that I can continue to still be racing forward, and I don't feel like I'm really on the back foot yet, so. so you said you took something out of what happened the other day. You said you kind of went a little bit too early and too hard, and it kind of cost you, so that was in the back of your mind today. Yeah, I knew, I knew I wasn't going to be able to race like that again. One, because I maybe shouldn't have raced so aggressively. I think the attacks were good, but I think the attacks were just too hard for... Uh, for, for being able to recover on a 15k climb and um, that just really came back to bite me a couple days ago and I knew I wasn't going to make that same mistake again and so I tried to just meter my effort a little bit more and I did it perfectly I think on the second to last climb um, but on the final climb um, yeah I just uh, I think that we just lost a little bit too much time to Nantes and Ilner and then uh, yeah maybe the uh, misjudgment of that final corner uh, just uh, took a little time out it was pretty incredible I was actually getting chills it was uh, it was actually it was it was amazing I mean yeah just the pain just goes away when you go through a crowd like that it was it was incredible I mean I've never really experienced something like that so it was that was uh, something really nice to experience thanks for the time thank you good ride today for sure Before we get to Andrew Hood and James Start, I want to talk to you guys about an exciting new wrinkle we have with our Active Pass membership. Look, we launched Active Pass about two months ago, and since then we've had a ton of signups, and I've ha- I've gotten a lot of messages from readers, uh, both positive, "Hey, I love this thing," and also saying, "You know." Active Pass is cool, but there's elements of it that don't really apply to me. I'm not super interested in coaching or access to live events. What I really want is the content. I want Velo News Magazine. I want access to the daily exclusive content and all the stuff you're doing around the Tour de France. Well, guess what? We have a new membership that is catered to you if you are one of these people. Um, It's called Velo News Pass. It is $49 for an annual subscription and it includes all of the exclusive content on VeloNews.com. So that's all of the membership roundtables, hoodies column, um, archive pieces, daily analysis, and exclusive news pieces. Uh, in addition to a year subscription to VeloNews Magazine, that's nine issues. And we're also throwing in the industry deals like pro deals to Jordana, um, Scratch Labs, some other companies in there. And yeah, that's what's included in the new VeloNews Pass. It's $49. You can learn more or sign up at VeloNews.com slash ActivePass. But this is a new a new membership product. I'm really excited about it. Again, you know, this was born from a lot of readers um, and your feedback. So continue to reach out via social media or web letters at VeloNews.com 
And if you want more information on ActivePass or VeloNewsPass, check out VeloNews.com slash ActivePass. Okay, let's hear from Andy Hood and James Start. Welcome back, Velo News listeners. Andrew Hood here with James Start. Uh, the first couple of uh, pods we did after dinner, which included uh, you know just one or two glasses of rosé. And, uh, and then the next one we did, at breakfast after a couple of uh, cups of coffee that, you know, that it's kind of like, you know, the three little bears story. Now here we are after the stage, no, no coffee, no, no rosé. I'm actually bushed right now, man. Man, it's, yeah, that was one heck of a day. It's been a, it was a great weekend of the Pyrenees. Only two days, you know, only two days in the Pyrenees, uh, made rather relatively short shift out of it. But, uh, what two days they were the first day yesterday, you know, going over the, um, the Perisur and the, and, um, and the Porta de Vallès, uh, two of my favorite climbs, and it was just this beautiful pastoral, picturesque stage, classic Pyrenees stage, with great crowds, um, actually, and um, and great racing. Uh, and then today's day, which was almost the opposite, with like heavy fogs, mist, uh, little known climbs, but very very hard climbs, average averaging like nine ten percent grades and very very tricky descents especially when you can't see the rider in front of you and let me know let me tell you i was on a moto and we didn't know where we were going man we're just trying to trying to follow something that looked like a bike race in front of us trying to stay on a road yeah uh, james tell tell uh tell people what it's like to be in the moto on the on the uh, photography motorbike uh you get that several times during the tour de france uh just talk us through your day um well they like Today, um, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, you get, do get a real inside sense of what it's like in the pack, um, especially when you uh, let the pack pass and you have to pass them double, you know. And they're like, you know, after the, the descent of, of, the, of, of, of the first climb today, uh, you know, it, it was mayhem. I mean, people are all over the road. It was just, that's how crazy it was, you know. And, um, and people, you know, coming back, trying to get a water bottle, coming back, trying to get some rain gear. Uh, some guys had mechanicals. I mean, people were screaming. People were just like, "Hey, get out of the way!" You know, and and it, it gets pretty crazy. And everybody, they, there's a whole sort of protocol on the road. Uh, motorbikes are supposed to stay on the left. The team cars on the right. Um, the riders, you know, have priority. But sometimes on these little narrow roads, it just it's kind of every man for themselves. And it gets really crazy. And today was one of the crazier, uh, crazier days. Certainly one of the crazier descents I've been on in a long, long time. Wow. That's saying something. Uh, they do have, uh, uh, motorbikes for the written press. And I've done that a few times. And it is just a, it's just a harrowing, uh, uh, scene out there sometimes to see just how fast and really how just chaotic the whole race envelope really is. I mean, riders are just going so fast on, on really sometimes, pretty sketchy roads that's one thing that struck me was just the tremendous bike handling uh, skills that, the, that these elite pros have at this level just how fast they can move through the cars move the bikes I and mean, their motorbikes going everywhere their cars going everywhere there are fans everywhere it is just absolutely mayhem it's amazing that there are fewer crashes than there actually are yeah it's um uh i don't know the only other thing i can think about is like being a New York City bicycle messenger, I mean, you got taxis, you got pedestrians, you got you know this and that. It's just it's coming at you from all sides, and it's really crazy. But and today's stage was interesting because we didn't go up any big famous climbs. There was no Obisque today. There was no Tourmalet. We went up uh, Col de la Ousser, I think, and it might have been the first time we've ever done it. But really steep, really hard. Only like fourteen hundred meters, so we weren't even out of the tree line until the very end. 
Um, but just a lethal climb. And the final climb up the Marie Blanc, uh, the tour goes up there every few years. It's, it's barely a thousand meters, but it's, it's just steep and relentless. And the favorites, you know, use that to their advantage. I mean, you know, this was the big mano a mano of the tour so far. I mean, they, they just, the big, big names took off their gloves and just started taking punches at each other. A lot of victims. And we got a really much, much better sense today of, of who's really going to be in contention for this tour. Yeah, I've been impressed with uh, how intense the racing was. Uh, you know, there was some speculation and talk. Even even when you're talking to the managers, sometimes they kind of do counter intelligence with you sometimes, and you'll ask them, hey, you know, are you guys doing this? Are you doing that? And they'll oftentimes uh, say the opposite to the media just to kind of throw, you know, they don't want to give away uh, their tactics to their rivals. Um, There's certain uh, DSs out there who've got such a reputation. Uh, you just know that whatever you, you, you yeah. get from them, you have a better chance of, of reaching the truth if you say actually the opposite thing. Actually, yeah, it's very true. And uh, people are saying, well, you know, it's downhill finishes on both days. Breaks will probably stay away. Uh, this tour is so hard. The, the Alps are so challenging that... People are going to kind of keep their powder dry. And that might have actually played out that way if it hadn't been for a young man named Tade Pogachar, yeah. who really just you know, blew up both days of racing. And, and uh, I just love that guy. I love how he races. He has no fear. And, you know, the fact that he lost that time in the crosswinds, you know, he said today that, you know, obviously it impacted his tactics. Um, yeah, I may have liberated him in a sense, you know. He, all of a sudden he's not, like, following. He knows he's got to make time up. He knows he has to attack, and that's what he did. And he blew the race open both days. This yeah, day, I think, I think he blew uh, Jumbo Visma's uh, tactics off off the rails, especially on Saturday, and again even today on the Sunday stage. Um, but uh, going back to you're on the roads, uh, James. Saturday, you know, another big talking point was so many fans on the road. Uh, we saw at the Parasoir, a little bit less in the Ballets, but mainly in the Parasoir. You know, very sword, th- yeah. Those those images of uh, you know fans running alongside the riders. Not everyone had a mask on. Or they had it down under their chin like I have mine right now. Um, so there was a lot of blowback from riders and teams were out there on social media. I talked to some people this morning at the start saying, you know, please, you know, wear a mask, respect the distance to the riders. And today we saw on the final climb today that ASO had put up some rope. Okay. Uh, some, you know, not fencing, not barriers. Just a little just, just a rope with a, a metal poles. Mm-hmm. And, and that did the trick. And people were staying back there, still cheering, still over yep. the side. But, you know, the writers had that nice space to get through. It was interesting because I was coming up. I was uh, with Mark Hershey at one point, about 3K to go. And he had this, you know, big shout out to him. Amazing, amazing solo ride today. Oh, you know, was 2K short of winning the thing. Still got, what, third in the sprint? You know, just what a ride he pulled out of his hat um so he was solo in the last couple k and i looked up and we just we just passed him i looked up and it's just a sea of people and i thought it was just gonna be everybody reaching in but i guess those ropes were there and they were actually keeping people back just just enough it was interesting i talked to some of the uh some of the uh staff at aso today and they were generally happy with yesterday's uh you know yeah there was a lot of crowds but they said you know Hey, you know, we can't control everything. Um, They thought that the, uh, and I have to agree, um, keeping the campers out, keeping the cars down, changed things a a lot. So there was a lot of people up there, but everybody that got up on the Perry Sword yesterday either hiked or rode their bike. And that's a different crowd. They're not partying in the campers for three days, drinking and, and, you know, and and, and whatever. They maybe had a sandwich in their back pocket, maybe a picnic in a backpack. Um, But it was, there was not the same hysteria and, um, you know, I mean, naive, but, you know, if these guys are strong enough, people are strong enough to ride up there, they're not, in principle, that sick. Um, so, you know, I think that that, um, 
that played a role. I, I sense it was a it was a much more uh, it, it was mellower up there. Even though there were a lot of people, it was mellower. And um, I think that I wouldn't be surprised to see the tour um, maybe holding on to that a little bit, saying if you want to come in your camper, that's great, but park it down below, walk up as far as you want, or, or get bikes. But um, I wouldn't be surprised to see campers and cars being severely restricted in the, in the next few years. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, some of these restrictions have been put into place uh, if they play out going forward in the future. Another big uh, talking point, James, of course, is uh, tomorrow's rest day. Uh, we have uh, the the first of these COVID-19 controls uh, that, that some of the staffers are being tested Sunday well, the night second, tonight. Because they all had a you know they had several controls right before the race started yeah they had to have they had to have two before the race you're right and then they actually did another one i learned uh, wow. by an aso sanctioned control and it, of course everyone had to pass that to be able to even start the race yeah. so now this is the second uh series of, of tests they'll be doing and of course now the, the stakes are heightened because uh two positive cases with staffers or riders and they could be ejected from the race and i was just talking to some people the last couple of days about that and Teams are, you know, publicly they'll say, oh, you know, we're fine. We're confident in our bubble and blah, blah, blah. But behind the scenes, uh, people are telling me that everyone's like walking on eggshells, afraid that, uh, you know, you know, we saw, we, you know, we had a couple nights with teams during this first week. And, and I have to say, I was kind of surprised that one night near Gap, uh, just how kind of lax things were. The teams were doing the right thing. But, you know, there's people walking around. Uh, all the staffers are walking around. So uh, I think there is some legitimate fears. And, you know, of course, the bus drivers, when they go get gas, they're the gas station full of public. And all it takes is one case, and it could blow up. Yep. Um, and, you know, the, the press officers are in constant contact with us because uh, they're the ones trying to mediate the mix zone. Um, you know, there's, it, it's, not, it's not perfect. I, I will say, however, there's not one team here that's not taking it seriously. And every team I've been around or seen, they're – very vigilant. They don't want to be the team that goes out. Well, that's part of the, that's part of the, the, the worry for the teams is they feel like they are doing the right things. Um, you know, we've even heard stories of uh, some teams that have the money are going in with these uh, hazmat teams going into the hotels before the riders arrive and and sanitizing the entire place, going into even the hotel kitchens and the public spaces and wiping everything down and just blasting out the rooms to make sure there's no risk of infection. So that's a story that's going to be it could blow up tomorrow. Perhaps they do have this mobile lab on site. That's going to be able to provide kind of this uh, fast turnaround on a second test because they're saying that if someone does test positive, they'll at least have a chance to do a second follow-up test to make sure that it's not kind of one of these false positives. Um, but that that is going to be uh, a big talking point. So, um, you know, what else did you get out of these uh, two days here in the Pyrenees? I mean, um, I, you know, you're seeing Pogacar attacking Roglic now in yellow. Uh, thanks to time bonuses, we were just crunching the numbers there. It's 21-second difference to Bernal, all-time bonuses. Bernal and Roglic would be tied on real time. So 21 seconds, I mean, there have been tours won by less than 21 seconds, so it's Eight. a significant amount. Yeah, and I thought it was, you know, it was really interesting to see. Uh, you know, yesterday, Quintana looked very good. Today, not quite so good. Um, yesterday, Bardet looked very good. Today, a little bit less. Uh, you know, who is Guillaume Martin? Uh, I mean, he's still in third place, even though he lost a little bit of time today. Yesterday was very strong. Um, you know, it, the dust has not settled. This and this is going to be one of those tours, where I think, with a lot of come and go with form. You know, the guys are going to be looking really good one day, and the next day or a couple of days later, maybe not so good. Yesterday, Bernal didn't look that good. He hasn't looked that good, and today he was the one really pushing and driving it. And he's not very far back. And um, you know, Roglic now and, and Jumbo. 
they have now taken the initiative, gone out there, taken control of the race. Um, they got the yellow jersey. Everybody's going to be following them for the whole next week. They've been riding on the front a lot already this week. Is that going to take its toll? 21 seconds goes pretty fast in in in, in 2,000 meter climbs in the high Alps, and and Bernal could be, I think he's calculating, peaking in that third week, and if he does, that could be trouble. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's going to be very interesting to see Bernal. He did come out today sounding very confident, more confident than he sounded really in this whole race. He, he was in the mix zone there after the stage today, pretty relaxed, just saying how you know he admitted. He's not in an ideal position right now, but he said he's actually been feeling better and stronger uh, as the race unfolded. He had that back problem coming out of the Dauphiné, which was kind of a concern. He seems to be gotten, have gotten through that. You know, uh, Ineos has been kind of a hot and cold during this race, but we saw them uh, pull their trick in the crosswinds on Friday, which took out Pogacar. And then, of course, James, uh, I know someone dear to your heart, Pino. Pino had his inevitable collapse, man. What happened with that? You know, he, he he was on my fantasy cycling. I got I have to admit, you know, um, what happened to Pino? Well, he crashed. Uh, you know, as Maddie is director. Stage one. Yeah, stage one. Didn't seem like it was that bad, but as his director said, you know, well, to be honest, we've done a pretty decent job of kind of hiding it. But he was clearly that took its toll, and he wasn't recovering. He wasn't as good as he was at the, at the Criterium Dauphiné a couple of weeks before. And he just, you know, shattered. He he tried again today. He went out in the early break. You know, he had all he has all the rope to run now in the world, and he got dropped out of that. You know, he just he's not there. I, I don't, you know, he's obviously going to hope to salvage his tour with a stage win. I hope he finishes the tour, but maybe he needs to think about dropping out and um, focusing on one of the other tours. Yeah, I mean, he was even saying, of course, this is kind of. Uh, finish line frustration yesterday saying how uh, this even could be a point of inflection in his career. Maybe he, he seemed to suggest even that his ambitions for winning the, the tour or you know focusing on the tour as a GC uh, obsession for him perhaps turn the page on that and maybe just become a stage hunter or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe for Gallipino, Pinot, if he goes to the, you know, just like Bardet this year, you know, all that pressure that's piled on those French riders, you know, who's going to be the next French writer to win the Tour de France? It must be hard for those guys to have all that media attention on them all the time. And, sort, you know, as soon as they're third one year or, you know, they win the Dauphiné, it's like, well, you're the next Bernard, you know. So I can understand, like, even Bardet this year was going to skip the tour because the Olympics were there. But he was going to go to the Giro just for something different. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. And it's, it's really crazy when you mentioned, you mentioned Bardet. They're almost the same age. And if you look at their careers, it's almost uncanny. When one is collapsing, the other is shining. And it goes like there's this back and forth in their two careers. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, don't forget, Pino already got third on the tour in 2014. But he has had – he struggled to uh, confirm that. And actually the last two years, he focused on the Giro to get away from it. Won, won some stages, fourth at least once. Um, seemed to rebuild – or that wasn't no, – last year he had a great tour. And that, so it was the two years previous. Um, but uh, it seemed to, you know, come back a little more mature, more confident. He's very relaxed. Um and it just all fell apart for him. And I really feel bad because he's a really nice guy. And I, I think he's just – I love watching that guy climb. He's one of the most beautiful climbers I've ever seen. But keeping it all together is a whole other thing. Yeah, and, uh, of course, you know, so now all the, the French hubs uh, kind of rest on Bardet. Tell us more about uh, Guillaume Martin, Cofidis, uh, man. Third place. He's riding pretty damn good. I, I really like Guillaume Martin. I, he's one of my absolute favorite riders. He's so engaging. You know, the guy's written. I, I did a feature. I've done maybe two features on him this year at Velo News. Um, you know, he's 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 a, you know, the true philosopher cyclist. I mean, he's written. He wrote a book on 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 Socrates, and cycling. 
comparing uh, ancient, and he had like this makeshift um, team of, of ancient Greek philosophers writing their first tour de France. It was, it's really funny and witty. Um, he, uh, he's very smart. Um, this is, and he's already writing a second book. Um, and very engaging. You, you, you know, you, you sit down with him, you're going to get good quotes. He, and you might have to come up with some yourself because he's going to ask you some questions too. It's it's like a conversation when you talk to him. Um, well, gee, after after listening to uh, Adam Yates and uh, Primo Roglic in these press conferences, man, oh. I, I hope I hope he gets uh, hope we get a press conference at least one day with Mister Mate. Yeah, he's he's and he's I mean he's been just riding so well all year. I uh, got what third in the Vontu Classic. He's right there at the Dauphiné. I mean, he's just he's he really nailed his uh, his training, and his training was basically done on the farm. He has a uh, his parents were um, uh, uh, kind of Bohemians. They left Paris when he was a kid, took over this uh, farm in Normandy, and have been rebuilding it and turning it into bed and breakfast and stuff. And he's very in, involved in that and helps with that. But that's where he did his confinement, and um, they have a couple of. A couple of acres on the farm, and he has a he had like a little mountain bike path that he could like do laps around, and then you know his his whiff stuff. Um, but it turned out you know no altitude training really. Well, maybe afterwards, but it turned out to be sufficient. He came out of you know he he, he hit those first races in August just flying, and he hasn't stopped. Well, uh, tomorrow tonight we're staying in Po. We decided to stay two nights in the same town, and instead of making the drive, so tomorrow. I mean, how far is the drive tomorrow? About four, four, five hours, maybe. Yeah, four, five hours, maybe four yeah. hours. Depends so how fast you drive. It's going to be a, a long day in the car tomorrow. But James drives. He's a safe driver. He drives like a grandpa. Mr. Magoo, we call him. Mr. Magoo, yeah. That's the first time that, that's happened, but that's okay. Oh, well, you know, we're a little tongue-in-cheek when we say that. Uh, and, uh, and I'll be, uh, you know. Sleeping in the, be in the sleeping, side. enjoying the ride. It's, like, it's, been, it's been great to have James be the driver. I mean, I've been coming many, many years to the Tour de France, and I always got most of the driving responsibilities. So I have to say, you know, I don't mind being the co-pilot. Man. We got off that mountain in pretty good time last night. Yeah, we did. You know, get off the mountain. As long as there's some good tunes. Yeah, you know, good music well, and good company and, uh, you know. Uh, everything uh, works out on the tour in the end. So we'll be adieu from stage nine of the Tour de France, and we'll catch up in a few more days. Yeah, can't wait. It's going to be great. The next uh, next stages are going to be interesting for different reasons. 